The Guardian. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, and 24-7 support. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code GUARDIAN to get 10% off. I'm Marcus Sedgwick, and you're listening to the Guardian Children's Books podcast. And I'm going to read from my new book, She Is Not Invisible. Where are you travelling today? asked the woman before I was even at the desk. I got the distance almost exactly right. I mean, I banged my shins painfully into some kind of metal footrail in front of the desk, but I did my best to keep a straight face and plonked our passports on the desk. Uh, New York, I said. JFK, 9.55. The woman took our passports. Any bags to check in? Uh, no, I said, just hand baggage. I turned and showed her my backpack and waved a hand towards Benjamin, praying he'd stayed where I'd left him. Short break, is it? Doing anything nice? I told her the truth, what I hoped was the truth. Going to see our dad, I said. She paused. How old are you, Miss Peake? Sixteen. And that's your brother, is it? I nodded. And he's... Oh, he's seven. It said on the website he can travel with me if he's five. And he's seven, and I'm sixteen, so I mean, I, we thought that... Oh, yes, said the woman. That's fine. I was just asking. But does the bird have a passport? I told you, cried Benjamin from somewhere behind me. It's okay, love, said the woman. I'm joking. The bird doesn't need a passport. He doesn't need a passport, I said. Then I felt stupid and shut up. Can I have a look at your bird, the woman said over my shoulder. I have to stay here, said Benjamin. Why does he have to stay there, said the woman to me. Suddenly, things were going in the wrong direction. You know, I said, trying a smile. Small boys. I mean, he doesn't have to stay there, but, well, small boys. Are you okay, Miss Peake, the woman asked. Her voice was suddenly serious. Oh, yes, you know, anxious. The flight's not for an hour and a half. You've got plenty of time. Oh, no, I said, feeling more desperate to get away than ever. I mean about flying, and, you know, there's Benjamin. I heard her laugh. Twins, she announced. My boys are such a handful and just his age, and there's two of them, so count yourself lucky. Whenever we go on holiday, it's like we've declared war on the poor country. I laughed. I thought I sounded really nervous, but the woman didn't seem to notice. Have a nice flight, she said. She put the passports back on the desk. So then there was just the small issue of picking them up back off the counter. I made a gentle sweep across the desk and with relief found them straight away. That was Marcus Cedric reading from the beginning of his new novel, She Is Not Invisible. And Marcus is here with us today, as is Henry Park Partridge. And Henry is here for a special reason, which is that this book has been done in association with New College in Worcester, which is a college for partially sighted and blind students. And so Henry has been one of the people who's been helping with it. First of all, Marcus, I'd like to ask you about the story. Lorith seems a bit of a klutz in that opening scene. <laughs> Yeah, there's something about Lorith that isn't immediately apparent and um, that, that's, that she's blind. It's something we don't actually mention even on the jacket on the book. In conversations with my editor, we were quite determined that we wouldn't make this the focus of the book. It's not a book about a blind girl or a book about being blind. It's actually a book about something entirely different. It's a book about coincidence in which it just so happens that our protagonist is a blind girl. Henry, um, what does the title mean to you? She is not invisible. That That is a very loaded title, isn't it? Particularly for blind people who live 
very often in a very insular world, inside their heads, merely interacting with what happens in the outside world. And that title, She Is Not Invisible, very often as blind people we struggle with feeling that we are invisible because people talk over our heads, they talk to our parents, they talk to our friends, rather than talking to us. It's, it's a serious issue with a lot of blind and partially sighted people, particularly, as I say, the blind, because we don't often feel that we are part of society. We do feel that we are debilitated by other people's preconceptions of us. We don't feel invisible very often to ourselves, but we feel that other people treat us as though we are. This book is in various going to be printed in lots of different formats, and it's got audio versions and um, Braille ver- versions. How would you read it? How do you read it, Henry? My medium since I lost my sight, um, which was quite recent, is that I, I read in audio, so text-friendly formats, Word documents, using the JAWS package of speech, which I have uploaded onto my laptop. I occasionally read Braille, but I'm still learning. Tell us a bit more about this story, because as you said, it's the, the main thing is it's a very pacey thriller, basically, yeah. isn't it? Involving these two children rather haplessly setting off to find their dad. Yeah. For five years, more or less, I was trying to write a book about coincidence and failing very badly. I kept on starting and, and getting it wrong. I realised after a few years had gone by that writing about coincidence is a really difficult thing to do because coincidences are what terrible writers use You know, when they can't make their plots work. If you write about coincidence, either you're falling into that trap or you know, whenever that coincidence happens to you, you get very excited about it and you rush home, don't you, and you tell your partner and you say, and they just look at you like, you know, yeah, that's really amazing. And they've got that dead look in their face, you know. So therefore, you might decide to make your uh, coincidence even more extravagant. And then, of course, no one believes you. And put all that into a fictional context, all those problems become even worse. So finally, I decided to write a book not about coincidence, but a book about a writer writing a book about coincidence. So that kind of solved all those problems for me. That's the dad. That's the dad, yeah. He's researching a book about coincidence. He goes missing. His notebook turns up. On the other side of the world, he's supposed to be in Switzerland and his notebook turns up in New York. And Loreth, kind of on a whim because her mum seems completely uninterested in helping, decides to fly off one Saturday morning taking her little brother with her. Henry, does that coincidence ring true to you? Is it the sort of thing you could imagine yourself doing? Potentially. Unfortunately, I'm not in the same position as Loreth because while she has younger siblings who are a bit more ready to believe even the most implausible of coincidences of occasions. Uh, as the baby of my family, I'd have to really bribe my, my siblings or trick them into doing something that you know, I, I would then feel even more guilty about than Laura does about what she calls abducting her little brother. What input did you have, Henry, and your friends at the college? We took markers through things like mobility, so... Uh, shorthand and long-shafted canes, the use of the brailer, which to me is an evil toaster. You know, if you dropped one on your toe, you would remember it for a while, yeah. We we talked to him about the attitudes that the rest of society seems to have to us, the prejudices, particularly the prejudices in favour of. We are perceived, as uh, the History Boys puts it, disabled people and disability gives an impression of sincerity. We're perceived as innocent, as as vulnerable. And Laura proves that despite our vulnerability, we have a a level of courage and the, the struggle for independence, the battle 
to try and, and live our lives as independent people is a huge part of, of being a blind person. And he asked us very pragmatic questions like, how do you cross a road? How do you make a cup of tea? To which my answer is, put the bag in first. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I mean, I went in, in there and I, and I just asked unbelievably stupid questions, you know, because I, and I think I apologised to you all before I even started, didn't I? So, yes. you know, if I ask you anything stupid, please forgive me. And they were incredibly tolerant and patient and kind. But then also they were unbelievably open and uh, really painfully honest because I really needed to know the, the deeper stuff. That was more important, you know, the emotional stuff, mm. uh, the societal issues, all that kind of thing. Lorith is being independent by striking out on her own. She's also quite devious, isn't she? She steals a credit card from her mum and she's studied which one is least used because she knows that that's the one that will be last to be discovered. Henry, what do you think about that? As a blind person, sometimes we do need to take our own independence and our own destiny in our own hands. For example, I've struggled with my mother for the last year and a half to let me walk across the road to the pub. It's very difficult. A lot of disabled people's parents, especially those of disabled children and vulnerable young adults, because even at 18 we are classed as vulnerable adults, often struggle not to cotton wool and smother their children. And I think Laura's decision to take the credit card, to abduct her little brother, she wouldn't have been able to do what she, she does in the novel without the help of Benjamin getting her to and from and supporting her, not only um, emotionally, but physically. We really do need to take our own future in our hands if we want to carry on our lives and get somewhere without other people's help, which is the eventual destination of every human being on the planet. Are there things that you think that are particularly smart, that Marx has got particularly right about this, the details? Where... Lorif will sweep across a desk or she'll sort of stroke along a surface until she finds what she's looking for. She'll use speech packages and she'll put the earphones in so that no one else will be able to hear what she's doing. And I think that gets to the very heart, the, the core of what being blind is about, that you try and make yourself seem less blind so that the prejudices and the discrimination of society won't fall upon you as a blind person. So I, f I think he got that spot on in terms of what we try to do to fit in. It was a conversation that came up time and time again at New College about confidence. And I think, because the first time I met everyone there, I was really blown away by how confident and independent they seemed uh, for their age. And get, you know, I, I go into schools on a very regular basis and meet lots and lots of teenagers. And I thought, well, he's a really you know, confident young bunch of people. And then I think maybe the second or third visit, Henry, um, and you were there, and I think Beth was there, and we got into that issue a bit more and dug down a bit further and, and discovered that, you know, often they feel they have to act confident, more confident than they really are, because if they don't, then people treat them as blind, as therefore helpless, incompetent and stupid, which is just simply not true. So there's a conflict, isn't there, Henry? I think yes. we've discovered that you're, you're kind of fighting within yourself all the time to what to present and how to do that to make yourself therefore get through the world uh, easier. I think you said once that fiction is an illusion. The social life of a blind person and the public life is very often an illusion that we try and present because we don't feel comfortable with ourselves, because we don't feel comfortable with other people. It's, it's all part of the general persona. It's a veil that we have to keep over ourselves. Mm. 
If you were to give um, any advice to other authors, Henry, to make books better for you, what tips would you give them? First, try and bring out the Braille and audio accessible formats as soon after the publication, or as Marcus has done, precisely on the the date of of publication. Like um, J.K. Rowling did with The Prisoner of Azkaban, that didn't happen with any of her other books, which was incredibly disappointing, because we were, as, as blind people, often left behind. Everyone else was getting crazy about the latest Harry Potter book, and we had no idea what had happened. So, you know, huge spoiler effect there. Only 7% of books uh, are published in some kind of accessible format, so that's adding together Braille, giant print, large print, talking book, um, other digital services. But even that 7%, they're not going to be published on publication day. You might have to wait months before you can get a hold of a Braille edition from uh, RNIB's Talking Library service. Mm-hmm. Lastly, Henry, how would you sell it as a book? What would you say would be the thing that would make people want to read it? It's got a fluffy raven in it. It's got a fluffy raven oh, in it. Lord. <laughs> Do not get me started on the fluffy raven. I love the fluffy raven. There's Laureth and there's Benjamin, who's her seven-year-old little brother. He has a fluffy raven and amongst a, a horde of little stuffed and fluffy animals in his bedroom that he calls Stan. And because Stan's ever-present character is is there in the novel everywhere that Benjamin goes if Benjamin feels morally uplifted if he feels happier in himself he will assist Lorith in the duties that she feels she has to do to try and track down her father Jack Peake and it's quite exciting it's very exciting I'd imagine particularly for Stan Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today, no credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.